Good morning. It happens every single day, just about every single time you turn on the news, somebody somewhere is doing something incredibly evil in the name of religion, yeah? yeah? Every day, it's like ISIS are killing Christians to create an Islamic state in Iraq, or um, terrorists Boko Haram are kidnapping girls in northern Nigeria to try and impose uh, Sharia law uh, on a whole area, or, or Jewish Israelis are launching missile strikes on the Christian and Muslim Israelis in Palestine because they don't believe the same things as them. You, frankly, turn off the TV news often thinking, Is, isn't religion like the cause of absolutely appalling violence around the world? So, welcome to the Jesus on the Couch series. This is what it's about. It's about being honest about the questions you have that you would love to ask Jesus. If you had Jesus sitting on the sofa in front of you, you could ask him anything, and he was not going to, he was not going to disappear and avoid the question like a, like a slimy politician. If you had him there, what would you ask him? It's called Jesus on the Couch because when you read the Gospels, you discover that Jesus actually doesn't mind it when people ask him tough questions. There isn't an example in the Gospels of someone asking Jesus a really tough question and him saying, how dare you ask such a tricky question? He's really pleased. He loves it. He grabs it with both hands. It's called Jesus on the couch because actually when you read the Gospels that were written by Jesus' close friends, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, actually when they write about the uh, teaching and the ministry and the life of Jesus, you discover he spent loads of time asking people's really big questions. And in this series, we're basically taking some time to listen to what Jesus said. In fact, that's also why it's called Jesus on the couch. It's not just Jesus on the couch and we can chuck our questions at him and walk away. No, that's like Pontius Pilate. When Jesus was on trial before uh, Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of, of, uh, of Palestine, it was a moment when Pilate had Jesus on the couch. He could have asked him anything he wanted. He could have got answers to any questions, and he asked him his toughest question. It was recorded in John's Gospel. He says to him, what is truth? And then doesn't listen. In fact, he sees Jesus as someone to dismiss, an item on his to-do list, someone to shut up and silence. His questions are reasons not to believe. They're not reasons to listen. In fact, the 16th century philosopher Francis Bacon, when he wrote his, th his essay, uh, Essay on Truth, he writes this, what is truth, suggesting Pilate, and would not stay for an answer. It's Jesus on the couch, because we want to be as honest with Jesus' answers as we are with our questions. We want to actually say, Jesus, we want to sit down with you for half an hour, for several Sundays, and, and sure, fire our biggest questions at you, but also have the humility just to just to sit and listen to what you have to say. So I, I'm really looking forward to the Jesus on the Couch series. You, you might read the questions and think, wow, this is brilliant. I want to invite my friends to these questions. Great. Please also pray for the preachers who are trying to answer these questions for you and your friends. They are tough questions, but you find answers when you read the Gospels saying, Jesus, speak to me. I, uh, in some ways, I'm just trying to encourage you to read the Gospels with an inquisitive mind, to say to Jesus, I have big questions. What are your big answers? So, hasn't religion caused appalling violence? What does Jesus say when you pick up the Gospels and you discover what's Jesus like? Well, here's, here's Jesus' answer. Yes, obviously. 
Now, I'm saying obviously, but of course it is possible that for some of us, it's not so obvious. Maybe we expected that Jesus, religious leader, of course, Jesus will be trying to defend people. When you watch the news and you see slaughter in the name of, of some kind of religion, you know, maybe you thought, well, Jesus is a religious leader. Maybe he feels duty-bound to defend these people and say, no, 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 it's fine. No, <laughs> you don't understand Jesus if you think that way. What you've got to understand about Jesus is Jesus is probably the biggest opponent of religious violence in history. Jesus spent his entire public ministry confronting religious hypocrisy. In fact, he became the most high-profile victim of religious violence ever. Jesus was crucified, nailed to a cross by the leaders of the Jewish religion who manipulated the Roman soldiers who ruled their province into murdering their enemy. Sometimes people say, oh, couldn't believe in Jesus because, uh, you know, religions cause such appalling violence. Why would that make you not believe in Jesus? If you, if, if you really care about this question, Jesus is your biggest ally. He's the one who doesn't just moan about the question. He has experienced the question. He has experienced incredible religious violence against himself. He preached for the first time in a synagogue in Nazareth. And he said, you guys... You've got these hypocritical rules, and I've come to set you free. The religious people in the, t- in the synagogue tried to lynch him. He went to another synagogue just a few miles down the road the same year. He preached a message where he said, your, your religious rules, they're actually tying people up. They're not setting them free. The leaders of the synagogue went out and plotted how they could murder him. You've got to understand, Jesus doesn't, isn't offended that we ask this question as if he's thinking, how dare you say there's religious violence in the world? No, 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 it's all... Jesus has been on the receiving end of the worst of it. And he talks about it a lot. Frankly, we need his answers, don't we? It would be nice, this is past tense. Wouldn't it be nice if our only problem was some past tense stuff? If we were able to say, I I really struggle with religion because in the 7th century, Muslims invaded North Africa and put people to the sword unless they converted to Islam, wouldn't it be wonderful if the only problem was 1,400 years ago? Or if we were able to say the Crusades in the 11th, 12th, and 13th century, how could I believe in Jesus when men with crosses on their front committed such atrocities? It would be great if it was just 800 years ago. The French wars of religion, when uh, the River Seine literally ran red, the history books say, with the blood of Protestant martyrs. Or uh, the English Civil War, which historians still refer to as England's last war of religion. Or even the troubles in Northern Ireland when people would blow up Catholics or Protestants in God's name. Even if it was like in our lifetime but kind of done and dusted, we'd still need answers. But it's worse than that, isn't it? All around it. It feels like religious violence is on the increase, not on the decrease. Most of it is Muslims against others, but let's not kind of, as Christians say, well, it's someone else's problem. Yeah, maybe it's a problem for some religions more than others, but man, we've got to face up to this. We need to hear Jesus' diagnosis of the problem, and here it is. Jesus says, of course, religion's called appalling violence, and here's why. He says, Mark 7, verse 6, when he's confronting the religious leaders, he says this, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. You can see why he got crucified by the religious leaders, can't you? Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it's written, these people honor me with their lips, 
but their hearts are far from me. This is the interesting thing. If you're really simplistic and a bit facile, um, you know, like Richard Dawkins in the Humanist magazine, he says this, he says, um, it's fashionable to wax apocalyptic about the threat to humanity posed by the AIDS AIDS virus and mad cow disease and many other things, but I think a case can be made that faith is one of the world's great evils, comparable to the smallpox virus, but harder to eradicate. It's easy to kind of look at the religious conflict around you and to say, well, the remedy is less religion. Jesus actually gave the opposite remedy. He said, the issue is not that you guys are religious. The issue is that you guys aren't religious at all. It's that you guys are sinful people that are using religion as your label to basically justify being even more evil than you would be if it wasn't for religion. Jesus doesn't say to Christians, oh, shrug this one off. It's, it's, a, it's a rubbish question. They're not really Christians. He actually says, take this seriously. Churches are not immune to hypocrisy. Christopher Hitchens is, is right in part in his book, God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything. He actually makes some quite good points. He says, religion has been an enormous multiplier of tribal suspicion and hatred. An enormous multiplier. He's basically saying, sure, uh, war and conflict gets caused by tribalism. Tribalism is still alive and well and living in London. If you don't believe me, go to Stamford Bridge on a Saturday afternoon wearing an Arsenal shirt. You'll soon discover tribalism is alive and well. But there's something about tribalism when people try and manipulate God. And bri- like, uh, you know, like the Bob Dylan song, with God on our side. When any government or any individual starts uh, basically living a sinful life but bringing God on their side so that they can try and trump others, actually what is evil becomes even more evil, doesn't it? And yet Jesus, when he confronts the religious leaders, he's saying the issue is not to turn away from religion, the issue is to submit to religion. Uh, social historians... Uh, Non-Christian social historians talk about two different types of religion. So they will talk about superstition, which is, <clears throat> which is basically a desire to manipulate God to our agenda. Superstition is not about submitting to God. It's about trying to harness God's power to do what I want to do a bit more effectively. They'll talk about superstition and they'll talk about faith. Faith is when someone submits and surrenders to God. They say, I'm going to surrender to your agenda. I'm going to live your way. And people who aren't even Christians will make a distinction between superstition and faith. Jesus basically says to the religious leaders, you guys, it's all about superstition. It's like the Crusades. When you read about the Crusades, it's pretty obvious that it wasn't Christians. You know, there's this call, let's go to Israel and kill Muslims in Jesus' name. I mean, it was always a bit likely that that wasn't really what Jesus wanted people to do. Love your enemy kind of includes not killing them. But here's what they do. 12th of April to 15th of April, 1204 AD, they're on their way to Israel. They arrive at Constantinople, the second most important Christian city in the world, and they sack the city. They rape the women of the city, including the nuns of the city. They rob the houses of the city, including especially the churches in the city. They smash up altars to Jesus. They smash up altars so they can steal gold. It's pretty obvious that these people aren't really motivated by submission to God. They're people who are using religion for their own ends, isn't it? 
It's, it's like even Northern Ireland. Thankfully, those troubles have died down a bit now, but it was pretty obvious that wasn't really about Protestantism and, and, and Catholicism. There was even that joke, wasn't there? I don't know if it was a true story or not, but there's this guy who's like intimidating someone on the Shanklin Road, and he says, tell me, what church do you go to? And the guy says, I don't really go to church. That wasn't even an Irish accent. I don't know why I did that. <laughs> um, and he says, I know you don't go to church, but which church do you not go to? It's like, it was clearly not about religion. But if you're a Christian, here's the challenge. If you're part of everyday church, here's the challenge. The challenge is, the answer is not to shrug off this question and pretend that religion doesn't cause violence. Religion actually makes violence worse if religion is superstition. Basically, trying to force God to do what I want, and great, now I've got God on my side, I can really go for it. Man, that's horrible. What we need is churches in London that are full of faith. In other words, people who submit to God, and actually, they don't want to love their neighbor. They're there in the football stands, and they're in that bit of the football stands. I don't know if you ever watch football. Uh, I, I'm sure it was a really good idea someone had of putting like bars between the home fans and the away fans. It does stop you hurting each other because you can't physically access one another. But if you've ever watched a match in that area, it's like the worst area because you know they can't get you. Like the verbal insults that go through the bars. It means that you go somewhere like that and you don't join in the tribalism and the hatred. You say, actually, I, I might be wearing a... Ch- I can't even bring myself to say it. I might be wearing a certain shirt. <laughs> but I'm not a Chelsea supporter who's a Christian. I'm a Christian who's a Chelsea supporter. Total difference. You're not praying, God, may we win the Euro- European Champions League. You're actually praying, Lord, may I make a difference to this troubled club full of people who are deluded and supporting the wrong team. <laughs> It's like, I'm just making this point because most of us are part of everyday church and there's this myth that Christians get into. They say, there's so much trouble in London. If only the churches were full, things would be better. I just disagree. The churches were full when British soldiers conquered a third of the world, often by firing Maxim guns at Africans who were wielding spears. You can have full churches and people using God's God's name to do terrible things. Churches were full when Europeans were taking black slaves from Africa to the New World. Full churches doesn't change anything. What changes things is churches that are fully surrendered to God. I feel there's a challenge for us as a church. We need to respond to it even this morning. Jesus isn't looking for more full churches He's asking for churches that are more fully devoted to him. Religion, actually, if you don't surrender to Jesus, religion is toxic. But if you do surrender to Jesus, it's the solution. I I, kind of want to end with that, looking at Jesus. I just want to help you to get Jesus' solution. Here's how Jesus attacks the religious, violent people. Here's how he deals with the problem of appalling violence. See, it isn't to kind of close his eyes and... Pretend to be John Lennon. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell, but above us only sky. No religion too. All the people living life in peace. Listen, we've got a country in the world that's experimented with having no religion. It's called North Korea. It's not a great experiment. 
Jesus doesn't say the answer is to eradicate religion. When Stalin, Mao Zedong, it's never been a good experiment when people have ditched religion. No, no, the answer is to truly submit to God. And here's how Jesus did it. Three things that you get in the life of Jesus. The first thing is faith means surrendering to God. That's the difference between superstition, which is toxic. I'm going to live my own way, and now I've got God backing me up. That is toxic. But I'm not going to live my own way. I'm going to live God's way, even when it's personally painful. That is beautiful. That changed Israel and changed the world, actually. You know, it's easy to say, oh, Christians caused the slave trade. Yes, but Christians who actually put their faith in God abolished the slave trade. You just say, oh, the Crusades could never believe in God. No, when people actually woke up to what Christianity is all about in the Reformation, the Crusades stopped. Actually, when you get true faith, you, 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 don't, you don't become a perpetrator of, a, of violence. You become someone who's willing to have violence done to you. Um, the Jewish religious leaders hated two groups of people. Samaritans, who were like the, the big religion that they hated, and... Jewish people who didn't play by the rules, sinful people. Here's one example of how Jesus dealt with them. John 8, verses 2 to 11. At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. They made... Uh, they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap. In other words, they're not really religious people. They're actually just using it as some cloak for their evil, murderous desires. They're using it as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who's without sin be the first to throw the stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Most Bible commentators think that Jesus was writing the Ten Commandments out. These people are about to kill this woman for breaking one of the Ten Commandments. Obviously, the one next to it is, thou shalt not murder. He's writing it down, and they start disappearing. Uh, it says... Um, at, at first, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus said. Go now and leave your life of sin. I love it. It's not like, it's not like Jesus says the answer to religious violence is to basically have no religious uh, values whatsoever. No, he's really clear with this woman. What she's doing is really sinful. But he calls out the sin in the religious people. He says, you know, you guys have got rocks in your hands. In, in what weird alternative universe did you think that it was God's will for you to chuck rocks at a woman's head? Let me just write down a few of your sins so you realize just how much more merciful God's been to you than you've been to this woman. See, what he does is he says, your problem is not that you are religious. Your problem is you just aren't religious enough. You haven't surrendered your life to God. And then there's this beautiful picture. They all leave because none of them can stand before God. And Jesus, who's the perfect one, he's never done anything wrong, is still standing there with this sinful person. If anybody should throw a stone, it's him. And he says, I'm not going to condemn you. 
In fact, it's one of the most costly things anyone has ever said into the debate about why religion causes appalling violence. Because as a result of this thing, he's like standing, making himself a human shield in between these religious people and her. As a result of that, he's crucified six months later in her place. See, Jesus didn't react by fighting. He reacted by being willing to lay down his life to stop the violence. I love the fact that history isn't just full of people doing appalling things in the name of Jesus. It's full of people doing amazing stuff. I haven't time to tell you about the monk who stopped gladiator contests in ancient Rome by running into the arena during one of the, uh, one of the big gladiatorial combats. His act of bravery changed everything. Or William Wilberforce, who, who risked death. He had death threats and people trying to kill him in order to end the uh, transatlantic slave trade. It's, Let's be a church that follows the example of Jesus. If you're not a Christian, don't use this as a reason to reject Jesus. This is the reason why you have to grab hold of Jesus and follow him. Uh, We'd love to give you a copy of Matthew's gospel this morning so that you can read it and discover Jesus for yourself. First thing Jesus says is faith means surrendering to God. Second thing he says is faith means relying on God's strength instead of your own. See, when he clashed with the religious leaders, he said to them, are you not in error because you don't actually know the Scriptures or the power of God? When you see people committing horrible acts in the name of religion, don't think, religious people, another reason to reject religion. Think, these are people who don't actually understand the Scriptures or the power of God. They're people who think that they have to fix the world because they think that they're God, basically. Because if you don't surrender to God, you will always end up acting like you're a little God yourself. See, it's like the Crusades. Jerusalem's fallen. Let's get out our swords and fix the problem. Really? Southern Ireland has become independent. There are some people in Northern Ireland that want independence. Let's get out some car bombs and fix this thing. Really? Is that what Jesus really taught? See, Jesus said you've got to Rely on God's strength, not your own strength. That's what, that's what being a person of faith means as opposed to being a person of superstition. A person of superstition says, I'm going to jolly well sort out the world and God, I could do with your help as well. A person of faith says, I can't sort out the world. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I'm God. Isaiah 30.15, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. That's what it's like. There was a time when uh, Jesus is going uh, on his way to Jerusalem and he has to go through a Samaritan village. This is like the big religious war going on between the Jews and the Samaritans. Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. This is Luke 9, verses 51 to 56. And he sent messengers on ahead. They went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there didn't welcome him because he was going to Jerusalem. In other words, they're like, we're not going to support you. There's a religious conflict going on, don't you know? When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? They must have thought Jesus was going to say, great idea, guys. Let's go for it. What idiots. But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and the disciples went to another village. It's like Jesus is saying, well, we could call down fire from heaven to destroy them, or we could just leave them to God. And we'll go somewhere else where people do want to hear this message. The really cool thing is about a year later, or maybe, maybe five years later, John, one of these two guys, was sent to Samaria 
to help them to receive Jesus as their Lord so they could be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus wants to do. You might actually not just be pointing the finger at other people. You might even on the inside be thinking, how dare you say that it's wrong to you know, use force to protect the interests of God. Do you know what? God doesn't really need your force. I know you, I know you think your force is really forceful, but when you're God, it ain't that forceful. He can do it without you. And God's saying, listen, the way my kingdom works, if you want to change the world, pray and act as a godly person and trust me to do the rest. Come on, as a church, London doesn't need more churches that moan about London. London doesn't need more churches that wag the finger and say, oh, we hate that group of society. Really? How can you follow Jesus and hate a group of society? He actually went out of his way to find any group of society that was hated and show them just how much God loves them. If you're thinking, no, I couldn't love that group, that's exactly the group that God wants you to love. Jesus says, faith means surrendering to God. It means relying on God's strength, and it means trusting God to set things right. You've got to get what Jesus did. He's, He's led us on a path. He's gone ahead of us to show us how you deal with religious violence. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the night of his betrayal. He's going to be crucified the following morning. Judas turns up in the garden. Judas Iscariot and betrays him with a kiss. He said to this group of soldiers who've been sent by the religious leaders, I'm going to kiss the guy you should arrest. Tell you, I'd have given him a kiss of my own. This guy, he's, he's like, he's kissing me whilst basically plotting violence against me. Man, Jesus says to him, friend, do what you came for. Jesus didn't just teach people generally, turn the other cheek. He turned the other cheek. Peter hasn't got it. Peter's the leading disciple. Honestly, it says in the gospel accounts, he drew his sword and chopped the ear off one of the men who'd come to arrest Jesus. It's like he's thinking, Jesus will really like it, bit of religious violence, you know, this could be the first crusade. I'm going to go down in history. Jesus says, you are going to go down in history, mate. He heals this man's ear and says to Peter, anyone who lives by the sword will die by the sword. I must do it my father's way so that the scriptures will be fulfilled. He's taken and put on trial by the religious leaders. And they ask him a straight question, are you the son of God? He says, he says not only am I the son of God, but you are going to see me returning to end world history. They say, this is blasphemy, we're not going to listen anymore. It's like our culture. I'm too offended to listen to you anymore. They don't put him on the couch, they just want to put him on the cross. And they take him outside and they start beating him and whipping him and bashing him in the face. They even blindfold him and punch him and say, come on, if you're the Christ, you can prophesy which of us was it. And all this time, the one who sustains the entire universe in his hands doesn't lift a finger to defend himself. If you're really a follower of Jesus, you're someone who submits to God, even when people are beating you. Even when he's crucified by Roman soldiers and being insulted by the robbers who are are, uh, being crucified with him, he shouts out, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Anyone who takes up arms to defend God doesn't know God. This is not how it works. The way it works is we submit to the Father. We submit to God. 
and we say we're not going to go that way. We're going to call out religious violence wherever we see it. We're going to be people who turn the other cheek. We're going to demonstrate a totally different way. And the reason it's a different way is this. Superstition is about my strength and how God can add a bit to it. Faith is about coming to the end of my strength and saying, God, I can't do anything by myself. There's no point in me lifting my hands to try and defend the situation, but I will trust you because you're the God of the universe. Jesus was crucified, died, he became a corpse for three days, he's buried in a tomb, and on the third day, there's this massive earthquake sent by God. He's raised from the dead by God. He appears to crowds of people, 500 people at a time. They see him raised from the dead. He ascends to heaven. He sits down at the right hand of God the Father where he still is right now, completely in control of the universe and thinking, why do people think I need them to do violent acts in my name as if I were too weak to sort this world out by myself? You are making the issue worse. And calling people like us, if you're not a Christian, calling someone like you, if you are a Christian, calling someone like you, if you're a believer, calling you to surrender to God, and we're, we're going to respond to God now. I believe there's many Christians here, and God actually just wants, to, wants you to respond this morning to say, actually, a lot of my following of Jesus is about trying to get God to work my agenda. Superstition. And I feel actually for many believers, there's a sense in which this morning God wants you to repent, almost like the first time you became a Christian, and say, I did repent of my sin, but I now realize I need to repent of my superstition. I'm trying to make God dance to my tune, I just want to surrender to you, Jesus. I believe there's people this morning, God really wants you to make that response. As a church, I really believe God wants us to stop acting like the world, to start acting like Jesus. To not be renowned for moaning about our city, but to be renowned for loving our city. To not be renowned for fighting our corner, but to be renowned for turning the other cheek. And letting other people do their worst, because God is quite able to protect his own interests. And if you're not a believer, well done for coming. I hope you've enjoyed Jesus on the couch this morning. I believe God wants you to make a response. It's a response of not being like Pilate, basically saying, well, you know, I'll chuck out my question, I'm not really interested in the answer. No, it's to be like Peter, the guy who got it completely wrong. And yet when Jesus challenged him, repented and said, I, I, I clearly need to get to know you more. Here's a way you could respond this morning if you're not a believer. We've got copies of Matthew's gospel written by one of the 12 disciples, the life of Jesus. Here's a really simple thing you can do. If when other people are responding, you ask a member of the prayer team uh, to give you a copy of Matthew's gospel, They'll not only give it to you, but they'll pray for you that God will speak to you as you read it, that Jesus himself will meet with you as you read. But let's make a response. This is one of the biggest questions facing our generation, and Jesus has given us the answer. It's not that there's too much religion in the world. It's that there's too little religion in the world. There's too much superstitious manipulation of God and not enough faith surrender to God. Let me pray. Lord, we want to surrender to you this morning. Help us as a church to surrender to you and, and show your different way. Help us as individuals to surrender to you and show your way of living, Lord. I, uh, I pray, Lord, for everyone here who doesn't know you. I pray, Lord, as they, as they just take a simple act of faith and grab hold of a copy of Matthew's gospel and read it, I pray you will speak to them. 
and that they will know you, Jesus. The answer to our time in history's biggest question. In Jesus' name, amen.